Welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy, and today my guests are John Carney and Gary Clark. John Carney is an Irish writer-director you may know from music-heavy films like Once, Sing Street, and the brand new Flora and Son, which is now out on Apple. Gary Clark is his musical collaborator, known for his bands Danny Wilson, King L, and Transistor, as well as his work with artists like Natalie Imbruglia, Demi Lovato, Liz Fair, Multiple Spice Girls, we could go on and on. These guys are brilliant, and in Flora and Son, they team up on a number of songs from funny ones, there's one called Dublin 07 that's kind of brilliant stupid, to total showstoppers like Meet Me in the Middle and High Life. It is a total absolute charmer of a movie starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Sing Street veteran Jack Rayner, and Eve Hewson, who I think after her performance in Flora and Son will be best known for her own incredible magnetism and not so much for being the daughter of a fairly well-known musician. Carney and Clark are responsible for one of the most joyously catchy pop songs ever written, Drive It Like You Stole It from Sing Street. And we talk about that, but we also start out talking about the art of writing a pop song that hangs perfectly between great and also not quite there. I know a little bit about making songs that aren't quite there because that music you're hearing right now made that on the old laptop. All right, so enjoy this interview with John Carney and Gary Clark. Again, the Irish accent is John Carney, the Scottish one is Gary Clark, and the film is Flora and Son, now on Apple. Enjoy. Hey guys, thank you for doing this and welcome to Movie Maker. Um, I love this movie. I love all your movies, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I have Drive It Like You Stole It from Sing Street stuck in my head. Um, That's good. That's a banger. <laughs> uh, so one thing I wanted to ask, you guys have a wonderful knack for writing a straightforward great song, but also for writing a not quite their song <laughs> for presenting like the first song that someone will write to get into songwriting in this movie it's Dublin 07 which like has flashes of greatness but isn't necessarily a great song how do you write a sort of great song well basically if I'm being honest um he'll do the great songs so all <laughs> of the, the so Driver Like You Stole it's his song <laughs> I'll do the it's a good partnership for these movies because I'm a hobbyist. He's a professional. So I, what will frequently happen is I'll bring forward an idea that, as you just said, has moments of like, oh, yeah. And then Gary nails them and kind of finishes them and puts the little thing, the flourishes in that sort of make them acceptable. Um, and that works because we're writing about characters who aren't, you know, you two or... Burt Bacharach or finished great songwriters or bands. We're writing about scrappy amateurs thinking maybe I could get into the music industry because it's kind of what we both are. Mm. You know, we yeah. both were sort of autodidacts, non-trained. Maybe I could make it in the music industry if I got a guitar. Maybe the, And that story, I think, just continues to obsess us because it's the story we, we lived. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, one thing that makes the songs not quite great, the ones that I'm talking about, are that they're written from like a very young, kind of naive perspective. How do you get in that? I mean, like the, the model song in Sing Street um, that sounds like it's like a song by that like a 17-year-old who's like ripping off Duran Duran would write. Yeah. Um, but you also <laughs> had to go back in time, like three decades to remember that era and get that across. 
So how do you get in that? How do you get in that sort of young, naive mindset? That was one of the funnest recordings that I've ever done. Yeah, yeah she used to hear a bit of it at the end of the, the credits in the movie, I think. Um, but yeah. to get back into the mindset, John literally said, I've got a guitar riff that I've had since I was at school. <laughs> it's basically <laughs> a D-shape up here on the fretboard and you drop the one finger down and continue to play the riff. And and it's very naive. It's the first thing that I think I learned or came up with when I was that age. And then I just launched in with great enthusiasm into that opening lyric and closed my eyes. And it was like, she's standing on the corner, <laughs> like an angel in disguise. You know, and those pretentious lyrics and um, bad scanning and bad rhyming. And it came very naturally to me. We had a crack band of musicians all set up in windmill lane studios in dublin yeah. and we started jamming on john's riff and the the, the musicians were too good we had to go yeah. um no you're supposed to sound like you're 14 years old you know so you had these guys who were like amazing players yeah. kind of so like kind of figure out how to of, play. yeah instead of like so the drummer would be like you know uh, he would do a fill and go like, and he'd hit the bass drum with the cymbal, and I'd be like, "So next time you do that, leave out the bass drum, so it just sounds really thin, and like fall over yourself on the." Yeah, because that's the way they used. They couldn't hit the bass drum with the kick, in the kick and the thing at the same time. It was, you know, and the ba we'd get Eamon Griffin who played the bass on it to like swap over the bass and play it left-handed. Yeah. Because they're left, you know, we'll just like. Um, you actually make your musicians be not as good as they are. Yeah, That's incredible. exactly. Frequently, yeah. he does yeah. that to me. <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny. I think about a song like Sweet Child of Mine, where sometimes you see people break down the lyrics and go, these are mixed metaphors or something like that. But yeah. it's like undeniably such a brilliant song. And it just takes great musicians really selling it to make it work. And his vocals are ridiculous. And that's what a great song is. It's not mm -hmm. always like the most. A lot of these hit songs are written by 17-year-olds, yeah. um, including some of the U2 songs, including Guns N' Roses songs. Because they were inventing yeah. the form. At the, we live in a time now of de derivative nostalgia. Yeah. Where it, you're not, you don't want to hear stuff that's new. Everybody seems to want to hear all of these recognizable patterns and references to things. But in the 70s and 80s, the, 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 the treasure was you know the the holy grail was like that's new it's exciting it, it doesn't make sense all that duran duran music i don't think they're the best band in the world but they were they were new they didn't sound in the way that like led zeppelin it, it, it was a blues band yeah duran duran were what just just they liked nile rogers and they were into funk but that was happening at the same time they weren't referencing music from the 50s they weren't a little bit like elvis I also think they were trying to be, like the musicians that they loved were like real serious session players and stuff. They were trying to do that, but they weren't quite there. And there's this kind of enthusiasm <laughs> yeah. that's kind of in the, yeah. the way everything's they're going. Level 40, they're level 42 <laughs> without the seriousness yeah. of level 42. No, that's, that's exactly right. The, 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 and I hope we get back into that time in every area, filmmaking and music and creativity is like, what's new? What haven't you seen? It's okay to be wrong-footed by new art or new creativity it doesn't mean it's bad it, it it means it's not it's not just replicating something else 
Yeah, I want to ask about that. But first, I want to ask about the way that the film addresses that, you know, this isn't really a great era for guitar driven music. Um, as this movie kind of acknowledges, Flora goes out and listens to dance music. I mean, she's not like going out and seeing guitar bands that often. Yeah. Um, and the band that you mentioned is Snow Patrol, which was pretty hot about 15 years ago mm -hmm. um, that, that her ex-husband opened for a while yeah. ago. I'm not dissing Snow Patrol. I just haven't heard that much about them that recently. I might yeah. be ignorant. Um, but um, how do you address... Can you talk about the ways that you address that reality that sort of maybe dance music or hip hop or something else is where it's at right now? Well, actually, I think Snow Patrol is a really good example because I do think they were quite original at the time. I, I'm not mm -hmm. sure where they're at at the moment, but I think that I was listening to one of their songs came on the radio the other day and I started complaining as it began because I was a little bit like, oh, here we go. Here, Which one was it? It was... Um, it was, uh, if we just lay here, would you lie with me and just forget the... And I was like, oh my God, th this is a bit corny. And it's a bit like of the wounded guy being all sensitive and singing to the girl. But then I was like, actually, this is one of the first examples of that. And it was quite early on. In the, it's been ripped off so many times it made the original seem a bit corny. But actually... What's kind of great about that song is it's relentless. It doesn't go into like a middle eighth. It doesn't change key. It relentlessly sells that one thing. And it's actually a very effective love song. Or, yeah. you know, you, do you know what I mean? But it was, a, yeah. it, it actually was original. It's just been copied so many times that it seems a little bit like, sort of like, oh, the sensitive guy singing to the girl saying, just like, let the, lock the world out and it'll be you and me. And I am tired of the sensitive guy image. And I, you know, I, I do have a bit of a problem with a lot of male lyrics being about how sensitive I am and how misunderstood I am. Not that I'm looking for rock and roll or anything like that, but just I'm looking for new. Just give me anything that's new. That's all, yeah. all we're after. See, the other, other thing that's probably worth mentioning is right from the early scripts, many of these references are in there. And what somebody listens to tells you something about them, doesn't it? You know, so yeah. it's really, it's the Ian character who listens to Snow Patrol and it's, or was once on the same bill as Snow Patrol, uh, to, to be correct. But they, um, and we know Flora just listens to dance music. That's part of her story. It's part of her finding Joni Mitchell and finding this glorious music from other times. So, I mean, John picks them because he puts them at the, the actual acts that we're talking about. He puts them in the script. But they tell you, to me, they tell, the first time I read it, it tells me something about the character, what he's, what he or she are listening to. Hey everyone, it's Tim. I'm just interrupting here for a minute to bring you a host read ad. Attention screenwriters. So create screenwriting software is a game changer for your screenwriting process. It uses imagery to immerse you in your movie as you're writing it. You'll feel inspired, creative, and so motivated to write and you'll write better. We can all use that superpower. And the best part, there's no fussing with formatting. So Create transforms your story into an industry standard script in one click. It is incredibly easy to use. You can start writing your blockbuster in minutes. Podcast listeners, you can grab a year of So Create for just 99 bucks with code MMMOFFER2023. That's like Movie Maker Magazine Offer 2023. MMM Offer. 2023. Visit socreate, S O C R E A T E, dot it 
to get your hands on the industry's secret weapon to award-winning scripts. And now, back to our interview. You know, I'm so glad you included Joni Mitchell in it because I was in your beautiful country not two weeks ago, and I was listening to one of the radio stations on RTE, and it was Joni Mitchell performing both sides now, but from the perspective of being about 70, as opposed to when she first recorded it. Right. So that she actually had experienced both sides. Like she had experienced, you know, mm. life as a youth and she'd experienced life as somebody who's experienced life. And it was just like religious. It was so incredibly yeah. moving to hear that. Yeah, um, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a very, very, very beautiful poem to music. You know, it's as good as a, as a, as a, as a, as a Wordsworth poem or as a little, you know, it's, it's, it's again, you know, it's not just about me and my feelings, which is all we're hearing now, is you made me feel that way. Uh, screw you. I'm, I'm going to be okay. And I, I guess we need to go through that process where we say that a lot, but it's very, very inward looking and very much about me and why I don't feel as good as I've been told I should feel. Um and I think we grew up in a time where pop music and rock music was sort of like, if you take Eleanor Rigby, yeah. it's a description of all these other people. He never comes into it. He never says, and it makes me feel sad. He just says, look at all the lonely people. Man, Jesus, this is... And he tries and actually, to... Actually, I'm even thinking, you're making me think about that period of like glam rock with Matt Bull and David Bowie and stuff. And those lyrics were wild. Metal guru, is it yeah. you? <laughs> you know, like... Yeah. Who uh, cares about how you're feeling? Like, that's a schoolgirl's diary i don't care how that you did woke up feeling a bit sad about the world who write about the that guy write about that girl write about other characters and other people that you see surely right space well, i'd love to get your guys's thoughts on taylor swift versus lana del rey and i'm not looking at this like a clickbait thing but I'm, it's something i think about a lot because i really nothing against her i don't really connect with taylor swift songs at all mm. just don't really like them because i don't I find it a little bit um, contrived that this you know multimillionaire is having so many problems and is heartbroken all the time and is constantly being wronged. And I love Lana Del Rey songs, and she's also a very successful artist, but is talking about other people in this very like dark cinematic way and playing characters who are possibly right. unlikable and unreliable narrators. And I just find her music so much more interesting. Um, do you listen to the two of them? Do you feel like they reflect something going on in music now? You think Two as a 50-year-old man, I'm going to comment on Taylor Swift? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> no way. I, I tell you, I recently went down a Lana Del Rey rabbit hole because I'd not really missed it, but it always just been in my peripheral vision. And for some yeah. reason, I started, I was like, that's really beautifully written song, you know, and then it took me down and I listened to a lot of stuff, went way back and actually ended up by the end of the day being, I'm a Lana Del Rey fan. So. Yeah, yeah and, and like Bill, Bill, Billie Eilish, that song yeah. that's in that Barbie movie, um, it's a stunningly beautiful melody mm. and like really, really profoundly well-written and like deceptively simple, but it's actually yeah. a beautiful. And I mean, actually, I'm contradicting myself because that's a very me lyric and it's a very, mm. what am I for? So I, I'm aware of the contradiction, but just you forgive it because the, the melody is so compelling and so dark and so sort of mysterious. I don't know much about Lana Del Rey. Is that her name? I, mm. I know that I know that a lot of parents that I know speak about her as being the sort of the place that Taylor Swift kids go to 
when they oh, tune, tune out of that frequency that there's something more melancholic and truer or something. But this mm -hmm. is me just sort of quoting other people. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a 50 year old guy. I listen to like, I'd be, I listen to Steely Dan music and I'm not ashamed to say it, but I'm like, that's, 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 I find that endlessly interesting and deep and musically mysterious. And I, it would take my life to get to the bottom of those songs and work them out and work them out how to play them. It takes me a week how to like play the opening of a Steely Dan song. <laughs> uh, so something I'm hearing a lot is that you, and maybe I'm just picking this up, is that you kind of like musicians to be a little bit more tough and in your, not in your face, but more honest and not so navel gazy and self-reflecty. And I wonder, do you think that people are writing those kinds of, kind of, um, I might be saying this word wrong, but milk toast type of songs out of fear? I mean, they just don't want to offend anyone. It's an interesting theory. I think we live in, you know, uh, a century of self. I mean, hmm. 20, 20th century was bad enough, but like this has gone to new heights of yeah. self-searching. And the whole point about self-searching, which was great and post-Freud, I mean, we're getting too deep, but the, post, you know, the Freudian thing and analysis, looking at yourself, looking for your reasons, that was all valid and it is valid, but it's yeah. also utterly um, in, un, unsolvable and it's, it doesn't end anywhere. There's no, if you, if you look at yourself that deeply, you'll never end anywhere other than with unhappiness. Like the, the, the simple acknowledgement of that leads you to deeper thought and deep, therefore deeper music and deeper films and deeper art. As soon as you stop looking at yourself and go, I'm not going to get it from me. I'm not, I'm not going to get happiness here on earth from me. There's no place to reach. It's a boring place to look. You know, and we went through in the 70s and 80s, filmmakers started doing that. Woody Allen movies are all about me and why me, me, me. And it was interesting, but it becomes ultimately just has the same uh, echo chamber loop of like, well, I don't know at the end. And until you realize what I'm about is doing things for other people. That's as soon as you make that realization, the first thing becomes super boring because it's like you just keep giving to other people doing for other people and that question will solve itself i totally agree with that but i also have a perspective on what you're talking about that's slightly different because i worked for quite a long time as a songwriter producer in the sort of pop world in london los angeles stockholm and i think there's been a massive shift towards me 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 since artists became the the singer of the song became expected to be a songwriter on the song so they're mm. all, they're, if you want to get your song cut by the record label you've got a much better chance if the if the artist is in the room you want to make the record label love the song and the artist love the song and the first thing and they've in this culture that john describes it is about it's what you talk about at the beginning of a session what's going on with you you know what's going on in yeah. your life and it's like yeah, well, my bitch sister did this to me or whatever, and that becomes a song. So I think we've sort of did this. The, there's been a culture shift, because if you think about the time that we're talking about from earlier, um, these were songwriters not really writing about themselves. Um, yeah. And, and, and now that the, it's, it's kind of expected that it's going to be about Billie Eilish or it's going to be about Taylor Swift. Because it's tempting to write about yourself. But it's childish. 
it's tempting to write your d journal, but it's also childish. You know, it's a thing that kids do is a private diary of a journal of me, me, me. But you're kind of ashamed of mm. that. And you don't want your mum to open it because it's private. That's where I come from. Is like, I'm, I'm happy to write about myself, but I kind of don't want anybody to know. Whereas now it's like, no, I want you to know about it. I want you to know how angry I am. Yeah. Um, it's weird. It's, it's, a funny, it's a funny time. It's happening with film too, isn't it? I mean, where your film is more likely to be greenlit if people think that you're telling your personal story as opposed to... Yeah. I just wrote a crackling good story about something that happened to someone else. Years where ago. I the, the the important thing I think it is important to be aware of yourself, but you're only interesting in terms of the society and the group you find yourself in. Um, and good writers realize that I think you are you can write about yourself, but yeah. it's important to acknowledge how interesting everybody else makes you. Yeah. Um, I'd love to talk about Flora, the character, um, and also Eve Houston playing her, and how blunt she is. She's unusually blunt for a movie character in that she, she'll just tell, um, she'll tell this songwriter who she's learning from over Zoom that she doesn't think his song is that good. Mm -hmm. um, she t she makes she says something very sexually explicit to her ex husband, um, and she's just very forward about like what she wants and what she doesn't want. Why did you write her that way? Uh, interesting. I think I, I grew up in a very opinionated household. And my mother, who the film is vaguely about, not she's nothing like Flora, but she did speak her mind and she wasn't afraid of being criticized because she said something a little bit, uh, you know, unpolitical or, or whatever, you know, or a, a, a bit rude or salty or off. And I think that, you know, I, I didn't, There, it's not that I wanted to like have this like brutally kind of honest character or something. It wasn't that, it's just, it's just, I feel like um, there's, it's time to listen to people whose opinions you don't agree on and whose tone you, we, we I mean, this is getting a bit ridiculous now, but like we do need to listen to people mm -hmm. yeah. and we, we, and we need to listen to people that we disagree with. Yeah. And and there's so much writing off of people who speak their minds or who are a bit unedited or a bit rude sometimes. And that's fine. And it's good to be polite. And it's I'm not saying people should speak the way Flora does. But for her, that's the way of getting to truth for her is to sort of say something that is quite rude, actually. Um, but at least at least you're getting an honest opinion. Um and it's rare these days that people feel comfortable with being themselves. Except online yeah. where they're like completely themselves and hiding behind their phone and saying terrible things. But like, where's the... <laughs> right, right. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm in a, I've married into an Irish family. Um, Good luck with that. that to me, I'm sorry. <laughs> I knew you were going to say something along those lines. <laughs> That's a very Irish thing to do. As you say, my wife is Irish and somebody says, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, if they're Irish. Yeah. Um, inevitably. Um, so is that a particularly Irish trait? I mean, because people seem to think that the United States, you know, has lost its mind in one direction or another. I mean, has has your small island managed to sort of find a balance between you can say what you want, but you don't have to. Uh, anyone can say whatever they want, but they can't impose it on anyone else. It's it's you know, it's it's an ongoing 
battle everywhere i think at the moment um i think irish people are there's a good balance at the moment like you've got these crazy people coming out and doing these protest marches at the moment in ireland about you know these transphobic people and homophobic mm. people and islamophobic people and jewophobic people and every fucking phobia you can get in the, you know and they go down to the doll and they queue outside with tricolor flags and they scream at politicians and stuff and they're great mm. they're 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 I mean, I'm, I feel, sound like I'm writing them off at the moment, but, and it's not that I'm doing that. It's that I'm the Irish government and police and have a good way of handling them, which is not to give them too much oxygen. <laughs> like don't be too scared of them and suddenly build all these walls and try and, and there's, there's, there's a healthy sort of like, let them have their thing down there and, you know, give give the let, let's not feed it too much with fear mongering, right? Because they're not that terrifying. They're a small group of disenfranchised people who have been stirred up by a few really bad actors, but the yeah. really bad people are actually only they're 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 not too numerous. Most of the people, uh, often often the people there are people with genuine gripes and problems who are being stirred up into madness by some very clever manipulative men usually um yeah. and irish people are kind of good they kind of bring that pub cynicism to the world in, in a good way which is like uh you know there's a healthy <laughs> sort of like let them in fucking bring them into the room get them, buy them a pint that'll shut them up do you know what I mean? I mean, I'm being flippant. No, now, we're, but... we're in the United States. We say you can't talk at that university. And then the person becomes this like, you know, martyr figure. I mean, we're, we're getting a lot of that there. They're, they're renaming, they're renaming part, parts of colleges because there, there was a fence over, you know, the person that was, that was, uh, that was named, you know, that was, was a, uh, new slave owners or was a slave and all that and in a way I don't mind I don't mind that stuff so much I mean sometimes I look at people who want to go to colleges and speak their minds <laughs> turned into a musical I think a speaker just I hear uh, a ringing phone yeah. chimed up there actually that's well, a very good alive. that's a very good warning for me to probably not speak too politically about all this actually no I, I hear you um getting back to the movie why Eve Hewson? I mean, she's so good in it, but, you know, I think I thought the same thing. I, I've seen critics who've said like, oh, this is Bono's daughter. What could she possibly ever know of hardship or anything? Um, right. But I found her incredibly compelling. And I also just thought if, if, you know, rich people aren't allowed to play regular people, then that's the end of movies forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that it's a valid question. I don't mind the question. And I actually think it's good for filmmakers to ask themselves those questions and go, well, can you punch down like that? Can a rich person play a poor person? Sure, a per poor person can play a rich person, but is that two-way traffic? I think that's a perfectly valid question, but I think it's one that Eve has answered very well and thought through very systematically. And mm -hmm. both she and I and Anthony and the producers of this movie thought about that long and hard before we... A, before we cast her in the movie, but once we had cast her, we also included her in the conversation. She had lots to say about that. And mm. what we decided was, this isn't a social realism movie. This is, we'll, let's create our own universe. It's not really about class or poverty. Or, it's about somebody who's having a struggle with herself and her son. The reason yeah. why she comes from where she comes was simply that I wanted her to be 
challenged and up against it financially and in trouble because I didn't see a middle-class daughter of a doctor go and pick a guitar out of a skip. I just didn't see that that was plausible and I felt I felt that that was just a filmmaker having his own way because I want I want to tell that story. So so we we did a thing I think which was our way of addressing a perfectly valid issue and a perfectly valid question and I love that Hollywood is changing and saying, you know, you can't play that role anymore. You you can't have um you know, there's so many examples of, and I think it's great. Like, why do we get people in wheelchairs uh, to not play p- disabled people? Why do we feel like actors can do? That's a thing that we could have done in the 50s and 60s, 70s and 80s and 90s. Maybe not now so much. Maybe we will include disabled people in leading roles. I think that's a really healthy conversation. And yeah. and I think, I, so I can't exclude myself from that having having, you know, had Eve in the movie, but I think that we, as filmmakers and actors, we genuinely looked at it, and I think we made our own universe and our own world in the movie, and I think we were sensitive about it, and I think people, when they see the movie, like yourself, see that we were sensitive about it and that we thought it through. She's also terrific in it. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from her. Um, if she was, if this was like her first movie and nobody had ever heard of her before, I think people go like, "Oh my God, this who is this major new talent?" I mean, she's really excellent in it. And Joseph and, Gordon-Levitt. Uh, yeah, and in terms charming. of like, and in terms of like the other really big question, which is like, did she take the role away from anybody? No, no. she didn't. There's no other actress that I know. Um, I I know lots of actors and actresses in Ireland and in Dublin, but they're in the movie. Like there's tons of my friends and people and there's tons of people in smaller roles from the area that we shot in that were in the movie. Like I don't really care at the end of the day. The reason that I that, that Eve was great in the movie had very little to do with her background. She yeah. was to me, I zoomed out and I was like, we're Dubliners and we kind of get Dublin. Whether yeah. wherever you are from Dublin's a village, it's a small place. You can have money and you're still a Dubliner, you can be broke, you can be, you can be, you know, if people really think about the north and the south of the Liffey anymore, as you'll learn, having married into this, it, we don't look at Dublin in that way anymore. There's no sides anymore, I, I, I hope. Um, very last thing, you have all these good songs to choose from. How do you decide which one to submit for Academy Award consideration? That's is that is that on your hands? Does someone else decide that? Pain. I would try to listen to other people, but we're so close to it that it's difficult. Um, but yeah, mainly the questions being around meet in the middle and mm-hmm. high life, and they're mm-hmm. both so different and so tonally different that it's it's quite baffling. But you, but you kind of have your own. I feel like the reason that we will be nominated and likely win an Academy Award this year. Uh, no, I think that High Life is a very interesting song for an Oscar nomination because it's truly a, it's not just, we didn't, we never go like, oh, just write me the best song that you can do because we're te- we're telling stories about characters who are not just the best musicians in the world. We're telling different musical stories about people learning music, about people teaching music, about people failing in music, about people not just succeeding and winning a bunch of Grammys. That story is great, but we've seen that a million times. And my my whole thing with this film is to look at music, to try and write good and interesting songs that help the character develop, 
but to do that in a plausible way that encourages people who see the movie to pick up the guitar, play music, go on GarageBand, learn how to use Pro Tools, get into music, see the, you know, the, the great thing about pop and rock music is you don't have to be a genius virtuoso violinist or cello. By its very definition, rock and pop music is the democratic, you know, leveler of, of all of these things. It's, it's, it's you, you develop your talent because the, and, do you know what I mean? So that's the message that I want from, and I think that High Life is, is a very cool set piece and scene in a movie that tells you that message very, very clearly. Um, I'm out of time, but I love your guys' work. Or, or to put it in Irish talk, uh, you don't make the worst movies I've ever seen. Um, that'll, <laughs> yeah, that'll you. do. Good luck with your uh, Irish, Irish connection. <laughs> well, thanks for the films and for the songs. I, I listen to them quite a lot. So thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you so Cheers. much. Cheers. Appreciate it. Take care. See you.